The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So we all know music can shift our mood. We all know that music has a capacity to shift our entire way of being. We can listen to our favorite song and all of a sudden feel good where we might have felt aggravated. Like we all kind of know that. But then to like really follow that all the way is a different ball game because what that points to is how sound really does have the capacity to shift our physiology. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. This is a Soul Fire production. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we have uh, a legend in the interviewing world on with me. So a little intimidating, but I'm going to manage through it. Hugh, what is going on, brother? How are you doing today? I'm feeling good. I mean, with that sort of uh, intro, I've got to be brilliant, huh? That just raised <laughs> the bar, man. I'm a legend. I got to bring it. You're a legend, especially to, to like our uh, age group, because, you know, a lot of us grew up with you on MTV when MTV was like a big thing, TRL, all that stuff, man. And that was pretty dope to watch you on there and, and to have you on here getting to speak with you today. Thanks. That feels like another lifetime hearing about that. <laughs> that was a very, very different life I was living. Now I'm facilitating sacred sound ceremonies with psychedelics. It's a very different world. I was like the most mainstream and now I'm the most underground. <laughs> That's right. You're like low key, like freaking celebrity. Just nobody knows like underground Q doing this stuff, but it's dope. I can't wait to dive into that on this episode, man. That's going to be really fun to kind of open up the doorway to what you're doing, how you're helping men and in general with the psychedelics and sound. But let's hold off on that because I want to open up the past a little bit so people can kind of hear a little bit of the growth that even brought you to this point. I think one of the biggest struggles I found, especially for me as a man, early on in my like men's development phase was how do you even get to the point of like something like sound and psychedelics healing and helping you, right? And so some of that journey for you started way back, obviously, in your early developments and becoming like a celebrity figure through MTV. Let's let's back up a little bit real quick and talk about that, a little bit about your past. I know you had some traumatic upbringings and then what led you to even being on MTV and in the limelight. Yeah. I mean, I'd say that trauma has actually turned out to be the greatest thing for me because I've been able to transmute it, but it did start with trauma. I mean, I I remember seeing my best friend get stabbed in front of me in our high school cafeteria. And I'll never forget that moment because it, it really kind of slapped the naivete or the just this sort of, I had this very almost blind 
faith in people. And I think that was the moment, the first moment where I really felt like it was a wake up call about what is also present in the world. Now, mind you, I had a bit of a chaotic home where my father was from Haiti and had a hard time adjusting to the Canadian life that my mom brought him into when they got together. And so I think he was dealing with a really stressful situation all of a sudden having his family to, to take care of. And he wasn't being respected or recognized as a dentist in Canada, even though he had gone through all the studies in Haiti and had his own practice at that point. So I look back and I, I understand the chaos. I understand the stress that he was under actually. Now as an entrepreneur, someone who has built businesses, I understand what it must be like for a Haitian immigrant to be with this new scenario in this new country. But that was backing it up before the stabbing that happened in my high school, what happened in my home was I did experience a sort of chaos within every day where my dad, you never knew what you're going to get from him. Now, mind you, feel like that moment in high school cafeteria was this sort of next level of trauma, where it was like capital T trauma, right? It went from like small T trauma to capital T trauma. But I would say that that really did inform quite a bit of my life because now looking back, I could say that a lot of my adult life was basically a response. It was a trauma response. It was like, let me figure out how to craft a personality that will be so likable that there will be no way anyone would stab me like that. There would be no way that what happened in my home will happen again. So subconsciously, that was driving me. I was creating this persona that was just constantly on and available to people and warm and loving. And a lot of it was grounded in an actual mission and a purpose and wanting to be loving and wanting to be empowering and inspiring. But the shadow side of it, no doubt, came from that stuff that happened in my childhood that was traumatic. And then my desire to actually help other people to transcend their trauma, no doubt, came from that. Because I think without that level of pain, I wouldn't have the level of purpose that I have now. So anyway, it's, it's really interesting to look back on it and have now this moment as a point of reference for how it all added up. I think if we had this conversation 15 years ago, I would have been still kind of at odds with that part of my life and not really sure what to make of it. But clearly now working with people in the depth, the breadth that I work with people, all of that has added up to being able to navigate any scenario with anyone because I've dealt with all sorts of stuff in my own life. That's so fascinating because it's not really like when people think of almost, uh, for a lack of a better term, let's phrase it as like a defense mechanism. They don't think about going to like love and light and happiness to be that, which is which that kind of was like your protection, your protection mechanism to not be stabbed, to not be viewed as somebody who's going to be harmful or threatened or even needs to be engaged in that physical conduct. A lot of times you're not going to hear boys go to men and be like, Oh yeah, I became more like available and open and happy and supportive. Like, no, man, I got bigger and I just learned how to fight. <laughs> you're like, yeah, like, no, that's not well, there was I that did. side too. Let me not paint like a one-sided picture. I think I think when when you talk about my persona on television and being on MTV, I think that's sort of how that showed up. But no question about it, I had that edge too when I played basketball in New York City, and anybody had anything to say to me on the court, all of a sudden I'd be ready to fight. And that was a very inappropriate response, given the fact that we're playing a game. So I had that part of the, the equation, too. And, and I was emotionally unavailable when it came time to like be intimate with a woman, for example. I would push women away because I felt like on some level, when that happened as a child, you know, young, 
I made up that I wasn't lovable, that people weren't trustworthy, all sorts of stuff, right? So it's like there was that part of me that was not actually healthy in my response. But I would say there was the part of me that became very, very adamant about being lovable as a response to the subconscious belief that I wasn't lovable on some level or that, you know, people were dangerous or whatever. It, it, it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, the way we respond to trauma, uh, it has a lot of different layers to it. And I would say not all of them are bad. You know, I think there is something like I like to talk about post-traumatic strength as opposed to post-traumatic stress, you know? So I think there is a strength that can come of these types of scenarios. I love that. Absolutely. And it's, and it, it is like, so it took you, like, I mean, it created this version of you that was able to almost be a chameleon, right? Like you were able to be competitive and have that bravado within comp- in a competitive sport, right? Like basketball and still, but then that protectionism then also made you be able to, uh, or allowed you to be able to kind of like fit in these environments where having that level of accommodation made you more enticing for people to want to be around and to experience and to be social with, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say if I had a picket fence, normal, quote unquote, normal, what's normal these days. But you know, if I had that sort of like very, very easy growing up phase, I probably would not have gone to the lengths that I did. I mean, I, I had a quantum leap by all accounts going from Canada and a really modest childhood where, you know, I didn't really have a lot of connections at all. My family was like, you know, middle class, working class type, and we didn't have any inroads into the entertainment business. So by all means, I had quantum leap going from like a campus radio DJ in Canada to being a TV host on MTV on one of the hottest shows of our generation, TRL. So for sure, there was something extra in the tank. (laughs) There was something very, very distinct going on in the engine room for me. And I think it was definitely that sort of Haitian immigrant spirit of like working my ass off, doing whatever it takes, you know, that there is that. Uh, and, and these elements of, of, of the, the, the darkness that occurred in my childhood, I think that also fueled uh, things to, to, to go that far. Now, th- there were friction points within the experience for me because of what was operating. You know, th- there was this sense of, um, always needing to be on and never feeling like I could be just vulnerable. I remember spending time with friends even off camera and never feeling like I could really let my guard down. And I think that's where things were not healthy at all. Like I, so I, so there, there, are, there are these different layers to it. But I would say overall, I look back at it and I feel, I feel blessed because I was able to overcome things in order to be something in the world. And I look at people who have a little bit more of that silver spoon dynamic, and I do wonder whether they have the heart to actually overcome things at the end of the day because they've been given everything. And I wasn't given much; I was given everything I needed. But you know, for sure, when push came to shove, like you know, I had to scrap and claw my way into my success. So I think there's a heck of a lot to be said about you know what what goes in the tank for someone to have an extraordinary life. It's 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 not it's not the average upbringing, that's for sure. For me, at no, least, and I and I want I want to visit one question here because I it doesn't necessarily lend so much to how I want to flesh out the rest of the podcast, but I definitely am very interested. Mm-hmm. Was that did you feel you couldn't shut off or like you couldn't uh, let your guard down being off camera with close friends because of the fact that 
you were you had this like psychological tie to always having cameras on you or was it more of a tie to the fact that you had created like a celebrity status for yourself or was it maybe a combination of both or none I think part of it was actually just not even really knowing what was going on that could be shared vulnerably. I actually didn't quite know that I had healing to do. That wasn't a thing back in the day. I mean, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, healing and all of that, I think, is a recent advent. You know, it used to be that if you had some challenges internally, there wasn't really the kind of robust vocabulary that there is now for it. I think post pandemic, the beauty of it, and sitting there during the pandemic was seeing people sharing on social media in a way that we'd never seen before, or at least maybe we weren't paying attention to. So back then, I don't think I actually had the language to be able to identify what was going on for me. So I think it was partly that and partly the fact that I did kind of construct this thing in my mind that then got projected out that I had to be together. I had to like have my stuff together. And, and if I were to present myself in a way that was less than together, then that would mean my world was going to start falling apart. That was what I made up in my head. And I think I got that from my father. My father actually was the type that would get a really great car, but barely be able to afford it because he felt like he needed to keep up with the Joneses and have that look of having everything together. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's not, not a coincidence how these things play out. And I definitely have an apple who didn't fall that far from the tree when push came to shove because I can see that happening. You know, even in some moments today where I feel like I, I don't feel like I can be as vulnerable because I have some positioning in the world. Uh, but then, of course, I notice that edge and I get through it easier than I used to and end up sharing way more vulnerably now than I ever did before. Maybe too much now, almost <laughs> overcompensating for the fact that I didn't back in my early 20s. But, uh, you know, it, it is something that uh, I think really does speak to how we have gotten a different conversation going as men, thanks to podcasts like this, where you really do break down the walls and, and understand more of, of what it means to be a man. And it's certainly not to always have our stuff together and put on. I think you're, I think you're hitting the cord for a lot of men listening right now, to be honest. I think so many men struggle with that. And it's one of the troubles that I find in a lot of the clients that I do coach is that they have this persona and perception that they want to be held about them. Yet they, it doesn't allow them to be vulnerable. It doesn't allow them to be open and really share what's going on. And it's, it's very interesting. You know, I'm sure you experience this a lot is then you'll talk to a guy because he feels safe with you. And within 10 minutes, he's crying. And it's a guy that's like never cried in his life. And you're like, bro, like this is all being bottled up because of that same mentality you're, you're talking about right now, Q, that you, you kind of broke through. So when you broke through that in your journey, was that when, where would you say that took place? Now, I want to also dive into you, like when you left kind of that celebrity lifestyle, because there was a lot of in there I know about that I want you to share. But like when you started to have this vocabulary or when you started to gain this, let's say, awareness that you you had some healing to do, was this during that journey while you were in that MTV life? Was it afterwards? Like where did that come about in your journey? Well, it's a good question. I, I do think that I started to feel the impacts of not having done a lot of real deep work. At that point, I'd done some seminars. I'd done the landmark thing. So I had some of that going on cognitively, right? I think landmark is great for sort of cognitive awareness and distinctions. But I had such deeper levels of healing to undergo. And I think what I ended up feeling while I was at MTV was this sense of not feeling whole. I didn't feel whole. I didn't feel completely able to be fully expressed. And that wasn't because anybody around me was 
providing any sort of um, negative editorial about how I was being. It was all very internal for me. But I didn't really necessarily have a way out. I just knew how I felt. I didn't felt feel like I could really altogether embody who I was. And so at that point, I just felt like, you know what? This environment probably isn't working for that, for the fulfillment of whatever that is. I, again, I didn't have the language for this. All I knew is it sort of added up to a lack of fulfillment. That's essentially what I'd felt. And I sort of made up a few things about that feeling. And I looked externally to sort of validate what I was thinking about uh, in that lack of fulfillment. So I sort of made it about the job not necessarily being fulfilling, even though at one point that was my dream job. But there was something in the way of fulfillment that I didn't feel. So that was, that was the seed of what ended up being this very, very long quest. And then, of course, now doing the work that I'm doing, it sort of makes sense that at a certain point, you know, having conversations about pop culture and that type of music wouldn't be satisfying for someone who ended up being a shamanic practitioner and sound facilitator doing these experiences that are really the, the, the most purest level of, of tone and sound that you can get to. So, you know, we could get nerdy about sort of the uh, equal temperament movement in the Western hemisphere and how that ended up being so much of what I was swimming in, in the MTV bowl. And so now I'm working with sound in a way that really does hit a certain frequency and a certain level that ends up being healing for people in a very, very potent way. Now, of course, now it all makes sense, right? But in that moment, I think all I felt was a lack of fulfillment. I didn't quite know what to make of it. So I left MTV after five years of being on the network, having interviewed everyone I wanted to interview. I mean, I remember a conversation with Stevie Wonder. I mean, it was incredible. It was, it was definitely a dream in a lot of ways. And so for me, it was just this sort of feeling after... I imagine a lot of people have after years of doing something, right? After five years of doing something, you might want a different challenge. You might want a different environment. You might want a different thing to play with. And I, I think I'd sort of reached that point. And so, you know, in some ways, it's not that deep at all. It's just sort of what happens in, in a human being when they need to evolve. They need to play a different game. And so at that point, though, I didn't quite know. I didn't quite know. I thought acting might be the thing because when I was in acting class at the time, I felt a lot more ability to like explore emotionally. I think it gave me permission. That was the first place where I felt like I had permission to explore my emotional landscape in a meaningful way. And so that was the theory of change at that point was like, maybe I should be an actor. So many VJs were transitioning or doing acting already. So it was like, okay, maybe that's the thing. And then ended up being beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful experience. And seeing how my acting coach was with us was a revelation in terms of that level of leadership. You know, it was a real interesting window into like the depth and breadth of a relationship, how one can be empowering in a relationship in that way. I'll never forget it. I mean, my very first acting coach, a woman named Tracy, who still I think is an acting coach in New York City. And I just remember how how dynamic she was and just how much heart she had for people. And the medium was acting, but underneath it all was just this like boundless heart for people. And she found acting as a medium to express that support for people and be able to get in there with people and give people the type of feedback that could really sort of rattle them into another level of existence, you know? So 
that was the first step was like actually wanting to really explore acting and moving out to LA and thinking I was going to you know, jump into Hollywood and be the next hot actor. And, you know, it was a, a big slice of humble pie, actually. <laughs> Realizing it was a very different craft. And, and um, so it was, it was some years of just kind of flailing around, wondering what the hell I did leaving MTV. But certainly it was moving in that direction of, of getting more embodied. That's truly what it came down to, getting more embodied in my values and, and really what I wanted my life to be about and having a space for that, that, that it was actually encouraged. So like picking up a script that was actually a guy who was the hero in the story, like gave me a space to explore that. And, and it was really dynamic in that way. So I'm always grateful for these steps along the journey, these breadcrumbs that lead to what eventually is the thing, you know? Well, it's so far. So I want to point out two things. The first thing is I want to like highlight something you said just a little bit ago, which was the fact that you knew that you were unfulfilled, but you had no words for it at the time. And I think that's might be one of the most powerful things I've ever heard on the show because the fact that I think many men are there and they feel maybe the same level of just frustration or lack of understanding. And then they feel criticized for not being able to find what it is. And it's like, no, I, they don't have the vocabulary for it. They don't have the awareness or knowledge around what it is. They just know it doesn't feel right. They know it's unfulfilling. So thank you for sharing that because that, that to me was very powerful. So I think that was... A, yeah, a yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it, it definitely is a um, big part of why this podcast needs to exist and why it's important that you know, men's work is a thing because we do need to now start to look at the, the holes in the Titanic known as masculinity <laughs> and, and the things that have been really drowning us as a society because it has been a patriarchy. And unless us men can actually hold up a mirror to each other and say, bro, do you see? Do you see? Then it's not going to get better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to be honest. We got to be honest with ourselves and then with one another, right? And then we grow collectively as, as the men in the community to help stand up that positive vision of what masculinity can be to help balance society, right? And I think that you're right. Yeah, there's a lot That's of holes it. from That's them. exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's, it is, it, you're right. It, it does start with us. It does actually start with us holding up a mirror to ourselves and being able to say, okay, I, I'm feeling this feeling and, and maybe going to a, a, a dear friend, a brother, you know, a coach, whatever, and, and be able to have the conversation to really unpack it. Okay. So what is that? What is that about? You know, like I, I think about that transition leaving MTV and how I wish I'd had a men's coach, you know, or somebody that I confided in about that feeling to be able to explore it, to better understand it, to understand where it pointed to, you know, but there wasn't that real solid meaning making. And so I, I do think it's, it's really great that you're doing what you're doing here with this, this podcast. Cause I think it, the healing happens in a lot of ways. The understanding happens in a lot of ways. It can happen just by listening to something like this, where it's, you know, maybe not directly towards you listening, but you're, yeah. you're picking it up. You're getting it. You're running with it. Yeah. And like when you said that about you didn't have that vocabulary for it, I think someone right now is probably going to hear that and be like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. Like, look where Q, like what we're going to get into what you're doing now too. And people are going to be like, holy shit, how did, you know, now I know how he got there, but also understanding that at one time you had, you didn't even have the slightest clue of what it is that you're doing. Now, like if you look, forward, you know, 15 years ago, I'd be like, I'm doing what? <laughs> like, totally. Right? Totally. Oh man. I, I mean, I, I almost feel embarrassed by some of the things that came out from that phase. It was, it was ghosting on women that I was dating 
because I didn't know quite how to communicate in an uncomfortable conversation that I just wasn't feeling like it was a fit. Like these are all elements of EQ, right? Emotional intelligence and developing that ability as a man to be able to have those uncomfortable conversations, face off with those things that, you know, we're not feeling really masterful with, but they need to be reckoned with. And, and so, I, I, yeah, I do look back at that. And I, I certainly have a lot of calls to make after our conversation to maybe some women I dated back in the day to say, listen to this podcast and you'll get some context on why I was a bit of an a-hole there, but certainly never intended on, on being that. And that's the other piece of the, the coin, I think, is with a, a, awareness. I think the next thing to layer in is compassion for ourselves that you know, we didn't have that awareness. You know, we, I think we all operate from the level of consciousness that we have at the time. And then now that we know better, we do better. But until such time that we know better, how can we intervene with something that we can't even see? Yeah. Yep. That is powerful, bro. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so taking us a little more forward here, I want to kind of close out this MTV tenure because I know it was something hard for you to do. I can, I can tell it was because it was like this dream job, which most people never ever, ever get to in their lives. But there was... And correct me if I'm wrong or putting words in your mouth, but there was some lack of like violating or there was a violation of your own kind of integrity, which kind of led to the departure, right? Or, or maybe there's a better way to say that, but fill us in a little bit on what led to that kind of, hey man, I'm piecing out from my dream job. Like this is it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a few things. I think that I was noticing that the culture in the building was changing and there was a moment where I bumped into a young rapper named Kanye West out in front of Irving Plaza as he was about to jump on stage with Talib Kweli, who was performing at Irving Plaza that night. And they were on this Get By remix together at the time. And so Kanye got a moment to shine on stage. Before he was known as a rapper, he was a producer who made that beat for Get By. And you know, there was a moment where I got to see him in that emerging moment in time where people were still not knowing whether to take them seriously. And so I, I remember turning to my producers at MTV the next day and trying to convince them to have Kanye come on and, and get a segment on, on the show that I was hosting at the time. And that became a, an interesting moment for me of, of, of seeing where the culture was changing. That there wasn't the same sort of taste-making boldness that seemed to be at the core of what made MTV cool in the first place. It was a little bit more to lose. It felt like it was a little bit more, you know, I'm not sure if we want to give this guy real estate on the channel because he's not proven and what would happen if the audience doesn't really take to him or whatever, right? That whole line of thinking versus the sort of innovator, that sort of MTV spirit that we fell in love with to begin with that made it cool. So that was one piece of it, but definitely the, part you're talking about is when Kanye came on a few years later. And I remember it was basically a moment that revealed to me where I definitely could have listened to my intuition a little bit more. So I don't want to put it on this producer completely, but this producer did have a pre-interview with Kanye where he expressed the desire to not talk about an incident that had happened at a club the night before. It was an MTV uh, award after party and there was a shooting. Suge Knight was involved. Kanye told the producer in the pre-interview he didn't want to talk about it on live TV, understandably, didn't want to incriminate himself. And she kind of conveyed it to me in a way that was not altogether clear how adamant he was about not talking about it. She said, basically, he'd rather not talk about it. And so in that moment, I made up, well, okay, to satisfy the sort of 
desire in the zeitgeist to know what happened or, or maybe just to, to for us to be a relevant show you know a daily show news type show that you know needed to seem like we were up on things so how about i just reference it and then we can move about the conversation in a different way i asked him a question that was actually quite open-ended and didn't pin him to talking about the night but kanye as we know now is not the greatest listener and so he sort of checked out as soon as I started referencing the night before and he flipped out and he started yelling at the producer off camera. And it became this moment that I talked about in my TED talk at length. If uh, you want to click over there after this conversation to, to see the whole thing. Uh, but it was, it was definitely a moment that had me really look at how that happened. How did it happen that A, someone who I once helped get on the network could have that sort of a feeling on the network now years later and for for me to not feel like i could really trust my producers to actually convey information in a clear way that would have me set up to win on live television it all kind of felt like it, it was the the crack it was the crack where i sort of the the romanticism about being there was very very apparent to me it was like okay this may not be the thing for me anymore this may not be the kind of environment the situation i want to put myself in and and it, like i said it, it came down to also having interviewed everybody under the sun at that point and having felt like creatively not so fulfilled because i sort of got into that point where you know stevie wonder when he was coming on total request live made a point of requesting me as the interviewer right so that gives you a bit of sense of like where i'd gotten to in that equation and felt like okay is there more for me here in this context or is it time to play a different game? And so that's basically it. That, that's, you know, that was the jumping off pad and I'm always grateful for my time at MTV, but it certainly, you know, ultimately pointed to a passion for music that needed to find other outlets and for ultimately what was sound, you know, for me, like music was always so healing growing up. Like it was, it was the place where I was able to make meaning like hip hop to me was cathartic. It was therapeutic because I was, I was able to hear and feel pain expressed through DMX and the way he was putting songs out and the way he was expressing, you know, that was like a note that I needed a feel because I had all this angst in me as a kid that I didn't know where to put. And so there, there was someone representing and, and manifesting that and, and, and putting that music out in a way that I could like really tap into that feeling. And so that all really pointed to what ended up being my calling in, in sound and being able to create that kind of a soundscape for people that, you know, is very meditative and, and, and healing in a, in a different way. That's beautiful, man. And yeah, dude, music to me, same type of music. I, I grew up listening to all that as well. And very healing for me too, like to have those outlets, to have things that I remember listening to stuff like that before I got into soccer games and I'd put it on my mom's minivan. I'd, I'd put it in the disc player and I'd put it in the minivan. We listened to a couple songs before I got out on the field. And it was like, it helped you to release some of this and also build up some of that adrenaline for you. It was really powerful. I, mean, I love music. Huge fan of that. And a uh, huge fan of DMX, huge fan of Bone Thugs and Harmony. Grew up with that and a lot of fun listening to that stuff. But going into music, let's do this now. Like, so you've now, you're now in this space where you're taking music down to a very, very like base level to create the empowerment and healing through that. And let's talk a little bit about, I would love to shed some light about what this means and what you're doing also with healing, but maybe also blending a little bit about what you learned through music through all these years at, you know, being part of music, listening to it, being on MTV, all those things, how that's helped you to maybe blend even what you're doing now and, and probably being better at it than a lot of other people. 
Well, I, I think it's 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 not altogether novel what I'm about to say, but it's interesting how most people don't actually tap into the awareness, right? So we all know music can shift our mood. We all know that music has a capacity to shift our, our, our entire way of being. We can listen to our favorite song and all of a sudden feel good where we might have felt aggravated. Like we all kind of know that. But then to like really follow that all the way is a different ball game because what that points to is how sound really does have the capacity to shift our physiology. Actually, we've actually now seen microscopic studies with the gong being played with someone near a gong and and experiencing a gong like that actually creates a different uh, constitution in the red blood cells in people's body. There's actually a rounding out of the blood cell when it's exposed to a gong sound and it spaces out from the other cells. There's more space that occurs between the red blood cells as the gong is playing, right? So it's like that that takes our, our sort of notion of how music is an influential thing to a whole nother ball game. When you think about the meditative state you can get into when you set up your physiology that way, right? So there's like the meditator in me that went to a 10 day silent Vipassana retreat and sat in silence and meditated hours a day. I got to a certain level of depth in my meditation and my practice and in my self, you know, being able to connect dots and make meaning that was empowering, et cetera. So, but for me, sound meditation has been a whole different ballgame where I've been able to really set up my physiology to go as deep as possible. So imagine, you know, meditation without that tension that happens the first part of the meditation when you're trying to get into it, you're trying to drop in, right? Like most meditators will sit there like a little bit irritated for the first, I don't know, 10 minutes until they eventually get to a place where they're dropped in. But what we've discovered with sound is that it's really a fast track to getting an even deeper state of meditation and what we call theta state, which is where so much creativity can happen, so much insight, so much healing. You know, And when I think about healing, it, it's not a woo-woo thing for me. It's actually the ability to really connect dots within oneself that has us empowered to live a life that a healed person would lead. Like for me, healing meant connecting the dots on how my father was abused. And therefore he almost had no choice. Like he, that's all he knew. And so it's like short of having the meditative state to be able to go back to that level of compassion for my father, make sense of that. All of, all of that, like it's the connective tissue of what I understand healing to be. It's not just this, you know, magic wand that gets, hit on us one day and we're healed. You know, what I'm doing with sound is not magic. It's really just creating the conditions for us to actually do that work within ourselves to like get to that point of compassion for our parents where we don't have, you know, edge on us next time we talk to our mother. You know, that to me is like the practical application of these spaces that we create in in the wellness world. And so sound is a really great tool. You know, we can use it in everyday life. I mean, truly, you don't need to come to my next sound meditation to get some of what I'm talking about here. You can literally just lay down in Shavasana with headphones on and play a song that has a certain level of meditation quality to it, right? Like we're not talking about Taylor Swift's latest banger. We're talking about, you know, something from you know, ideally it's going to be 
something that has more of that sort of meditative quality to it, right? And that's going to be different for everybody. You know, I listen to certain songs by like Dafur Youssef, you know, from the East and, you know, what they do with the sonics and the, the, the soundscapes over there are different than sort of this Western, you know, pop culture thing, which, you know, again, there's nothing wrong with it. There's a time and place. I love me some pop music when it's time to turn up and dance and all of that. But if you want to go in deep and you want to get some clarity about your next step in life, or you want to, you know, really shake off maybe this last chapter you've had, like you went through a divorce or some traumatic thing, you want to get to a place of resolution, you want a certain soundscape to really support that, right? You want to be able to like feel your nervous system reset and really allow for the peace that is available in life to like wash all over you. You know, these are the things that we do in in these sound meditations and these experiences. And so it's a beautiful thing, man, to be able to create that space for people to do that kind of work. And, you know, to me, it's the, the least dogmatic thing I've ever been exposed to because it really is just working with the power of sound and ultimately creating a space for each one of the participants to be the greatest healer. You know, it's really not me doing anything other than playing some instruments and creating an intentional environment and, you know, psychedelics laid on top of it. It's an even deeper experience. And so it's, it's been an honor to be able to do this work. Hey, everyone, want to take a quick second here and let you know about my new book, Design the Man Within. It is all about getting the everyday man the tools he needs to start becoming a better version of himself, but also becoming a man who loves himself and impacts the people around him positively. Go ahead to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. I am very proud of this book and it was the book I needed years ago when I started my journey. And so I hope that it can be that door opening book for every man out there to start his own personal journey with tools and tips that I've used to help grow through some of the darkest times in my life to become somebody who looks at the man in the mirror and loves who he sees. So make sure you head over to designthemanwithin.com and get your copy today. That's so powerful, brother. And I, and I love that you have stepped foot into this um, because of your passion for music before all of this. And then now also uh, included in this, right? Like that passion for having that healing sound. And let's, let's venture down that road a little bit about the pairing of psychedelics with this. Now, trust me, this, this isn't the first time I've talked about psychedelics on, on this show. So the, the listeners do know how powerful and supportive they can be to growth and to healing. So let's talk about a little bit on the psychedelic component to this and then how you involve that in your practice with the music. Yeah. Well, so for me, it's really profound and, and, and very sacred because it helped me in a moment where I needed that kind of support. I needed the big guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it this way. There's some people that could just go to do a sound bath down the street. And there's some people that need the big guns right now. And I was one of those people that needed the big guns because I had gone through really agonizing moment before deciding on divorce. And it was a really tough time. I wasn't sleeping for months. I hadn't slept. I, you know, just completely fell off the the wagon, so to speak, in terms of the the sort of things that I was doing day to day. I wasn't really operating the company I'd built with my now ex wife. I, I wasn't able to. I I just had the the this is about the most challenging moment of my life. It was the dark night of the soul, you know. And so when I got invited to a sound ceremony, I remember seeing the email <laughs> just like it was yesterday. I got this invitation 
just as I was landing in LA for a sound meditation that was happening that week. And I was in pain, bro. I was in so much pain. And when I got that invitation, it felt like it, it was like the potential of getting out of that pain. When I saw that email, I thought, I'm, I'm not sure if this will do it, but I know the ingredients of this equation. I'd been to an experience like this before in a, a much less acute moment in my life. And so for me, you know, the use of psychedelics is a very profound thing because it, it really helped me out of that moment. It, it really gave me that, that relief, that, that space uh, to be able to hear my wisdom despite months of being sort of backed up and having to go to different people to get sleep meds and things like that, that were like actually stuffing down and actually having me less connected to what ended up being the wisdom within all of that, that could have had the choice point. Cause again, like my take on healing is that it's actually a process of choosing better thoughts first and foremost. And, and so it's like, I just wasn't even able to access really that, that core part of me. And so boom, there I was in that experience getting MDMA and these amazing mushrooms to be able to get into a state where I could hear that wisdom again, tap into that part of me, that gnosis, you know, the, the, the Greek Gnostics, you know, they talk about gnosis. And so it was like that gnosis that I needed to actually make that decision. Right. So I know I'm not just saying this uh, for the sake of my story. I think somebody probably needs to hear this. It's like when, when we are in those moments of acute pain or confusion, we need the big guns, right? And, and maybe you can do it through a yoga retreat, but I would say psychedelics have now proven scientifically to be supportive to get into the kind of states that are, are peak states, actually. So it's, just, it's beyond sometimes just dealing with pain. It's actually also a real optimizer in terms of what happens from a neurogenesis point of view. So it's like, you know, this recent breakthrough in the research around, you know, why mushrooms are so effective in all of the trials they've been doing at John Hopkins and working with veterans on their PTSD is it accesses a part of the serotonin cell, this serotonin 2A receptor that apparently nothing else does. <laughs> nothing that they use in traditional medicine accesses this 2A receptor quite like mushrooms do. And so it's this ripple effect that really does set us up to wind so that when the sound comes, we're, we're in the state of full receptivity, we can get the full benefits of sound and the psychedelics are doing their work which you know, people have talked about magic mushrooms before. And now we know it's actually beyond magic. It's science now. It, it's, it's what we can now see. We can track. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful thing to get to a point in time where you know, so much of the propaganda, so much of the stigma around psychedelics is washing away in light of what we're seeing now scientifically, unequivocally. So yeah, the beauty of being in this day and age is that we actually have science catching up with spirituality and what, you know, folks like me who've been facilitating these different, you know, sacred ceremonies with psychedelics have known for a while, which is that ultimately psychedelics, you know, especially the ones that are from natural things, I'll, I'll say there are different categories <laughs> in my mind of psychedelics and, and the ones, you know, that are of a natural tendency, like mushrooms, are a really beautiful thing. You know, they're, they're, they're for me, a competitive advantage. You know, they're not, um, 
crutch. You know, some people talk about psychedelics and they wonder, you know, well, why, why do we need psychedelics? Well, I think it's an opportunity to get to a different level of expansion in our consciousness and to see things that maybe we couldn't see without these different states. These are extraordinary states that we can get into. So why wouldn't we, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's really cool that you point that out. Cause, um, when it comes to psychedelics, especially when you're looking at like psilocybin and how that influences the neural connections within our brains, they started to map this as well. So to your point scientifically, and they started to see that neurologically we're exposed to more open pathways when we take mushrooms. And this has lent its, lent itself into the field of nootropics that are just sold you know, regularly that you can include into your tea and into your coffee. And so I use those every morning, but those in similar ways, they have the same function as like psychedelic versions of mushrooms. So it's very interesting that we're starting to play in this field a little more and, and have the science behind it. And even though our ancestors all knew it, because they were all doing it globally, like globally, uh, all of our ancestors were taking them. We're starting to see that there is that actual scientific connection to all of this. And it's just so beautiful. But I love that's what you're doing, brother. Um, I want to take a quick moment and, and um, because I want to know, we want to offer up like where you're doing this and how you're supporting it and when pe- how people can get involved in the sound and psychedelic healing. I want to jump into that, but I also want to highlight something that is also near and dear to your heart and uh, to mine as well. But you have started a group that that specifically is is tailored towards helping like black men kind of develop and process into that strong man in communities today and let's talk a little bit about that and where what you're doing with that and how that's impacting the world yeah it's been a beautiful thing I and mean, we started gathering back in 2020 actually after Ahmad Arbery got shot down in Georgia and i felt like i'd already started to see a tendency in the men's workspace for black men not to be there. I remember being in a couple different men's groups and I was the only brown person that was getting the benefit of being in those men's groups. And so I had already had that notion, like this would be an amazing space for black men to have together, to be able to have a conversation about, you know, being a black man in America. It's just, it's a very distinct thing. And uh, there are nooks and crannies of the conversation that that end up uh, feeling distinct to, to that experience. And uh, so when Ahmaud Arbery got shot down in Georgia, I, I looked around and I saw the pandemic happening and saw some of my comrades like Preston Smiles, like Light Watkins, like Baratunde Thurston, who are the founding members alongside of me and uh, decided to give him a call and throw out this idea of creating a black men's group where uh, we would gather on a regular basis to share what's really going on for us. Because, you know, especially men who are upholders, you know, I call uh, these men that are in this particular men's group with me, the the upholders of communities. Like I, I ask myself, you know, who's upholding the upholders? You know, when push comes to shove, and it was like, you know, in that moment where I was going through my hardest time leading up to divorce, like I didn't feel like I could just turn to anybody to share what was going on because I'd been so habituated in upholding others. <laughs> so, you know, really wanting to create a space that like, you know, we, we could just get real. We could just get real like everybody else. And so that's what we've done. And it's been a really beautiful thing. It's been a lot of, you know, deep, deep conversations uh, and also a hell, hell of a lot of joy, a lot of like real big belly laughs about, you know, things that um, we, we are uh, also going through. So 
it's 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 been a beautiful thing. It's one of the more fulfilling things I can look back in the past three years and say, man, I you know I made something meaningful there. And you know we're gonna we're gonna definitely work on opening it up. Um, it's interesting because around the same time we started it, I started talking about King's Council. Uh, actually, someone who I know who's an Instagram chat with me decided to start their own version of a King's Council, and so now we're we're probably gonna change the name, but. Um, yeah, it, it's been it's been beautiful to build a foundation for something that I think every black man will have access to before long. Dude, that's beautiful, man. I love that you guys are doing it. I know of uh, some of the co-leaders with you and you guys are just amazing humans. I couldn't I couldn't find better men out there that could be leading that. So mm, appreciate really happy you guys took on that challenge and you guys are um, embracing that to help the community. So beautiful, brother. Well, real quick, man, let's talk about uh, where people can find your healing mm-hmm. events, how they can be part of that. Also, the Black men's community, how men can get yep. part of that. And then also in general, the best place to get in part of your ecosystem. Yeah, totally. So if uh, you're a Black man who wants to be a part of King's Council, as it's currently titled, uh, you would go to kingscouncil.org. So kingscouncil.org. Working mm-hmm. title. Working title. Yeah, working title. <laughs> but kingscouncil.org. And, and, and of course, when uh, we shift, we'll probably have it uh, bounce from kingscouncil.org to some other site. So just go there. And then as far as the yeah. sound experiences, go to soundsanctuary.org. So you can go to soundsanctuary.org. And of course, my website, uh, where you can also tap into a microdosing protocol that I'm leading people in as well. So that could be also a support for folks. So caduce.co. Oh, super dope. Yeah. yeah. So either one of those three sites, caduce.co is a good place to go and it'll point you to all those. Cool. We'll get all that linked in the show notes. So if you're listening guys and you want to revisit what Q just said and you don't want to write it down, head over to the show notes, click on one of those links that really aligned with you and check it out. But Brother, it's been an amazing time chatting with you. You're obviously an amazing human being. We've been connected through numerous mm-hmm. channels. And so I'm really happy to finally get you on the show to get your wisdom and your words out to men all around so they can hopefully take some lessons from it and, ta- and resonate with it and see how it impacts their yeah. lives. Well, before I uh, let you peace out to your beautiful uh, rest of your day in Lisbon, <laughs> um, what does the art of masculinity mean to you? Mm. The art of masculinity to me is being wholehearted, being as compassionate as we are courageous. And so, yeah, being, being wholehearted is really what it means to be a man, man for me, you know, being masculine, uh, compassionate and courageous. I love that brother. Very good. And I love it. It encompasses all of it. So I love that. Well, thank you, Q. Appreciate you, you, brother. And to everybody listening, as always, remember that the world deserves a better caliber of man and it's our obligation to give it to him. All right, guys. 